Well, evening, guys. Really good to be with you. Really good to see you. Uh, some faces I don't recognise, so um, welcome. Really good to have you here if it's your first time. Uh, particularly warm welcome to you. Uh, just to give you some context, someone asked me earlier, do you always have cake? Sadly not. Um, we do not always have cake uh, at the evening service, but uh, we had a really special morning earlier on. A few of the evening guys attended uh, this morning as well, uh, where we got to dedicate three of our lovely children uh, we've got some we've got some photos of them. These guys, Hermione Harrison, Lauren and Dom's little girl, uh, Isaac Wade, my son, uh, and Noah Arthur, Rafa Nimi's little boy. So we had an amazing morning. Uh, this room was full up with friends, family, guests, uh, and our community. Just, yeah, a really, really cool morning. And we had a bring and share lunch, so that's why there's lots of leftover cake. So enjoy, enjoy it while you can. And please do take as much cake as you can carry, because I have no idea what Andy Hughes is going to do with all that cake, uh, <laughs> other than eat it himself. Um, so yeah, we had a really good morning, uh, and uh, I just shared a little bit about um, what we were doing, what, what dedicating our children means. And I'm going to share a little bit about that tonight as well. Uh, but I also want to speak about uh, community and what it is here we're trying to build in Myland, what uh, is important to us uh, as a, a service. And one of the things I'm really keen for as we now have this building, for those of you who don't uh, know, we used to meet in two different locations that we didn't have access to during the week. We now have this building 24-7 for both of our services, which is really exciting. What I, my heart for us as a community is that we would feel like one community. So it's not that you're from the morning or the evening community, that we are actually one community. And it's great actually that Sarah, who helps, helps me lead the morning, is here leading tonight. It's just a really good um, picture of what it is I think we want to create as a church. And so, yeah, so this morning I got to share a little bit about what we're doing as a community. I got to share about what we were doing in dedicating and giving thanks for our kids. And I got to do it as a pastor and a father, which was pretty cool uh, as well. And one of the things that I think is super important for us to remember as a church is that the children in our church, the children within our community are just as important and as valuable as anyone else. For me as a parent today, as we dedicated our kids, it was really a day just to dream, to wonder, and to pray who are our children going to become? What will their character and personality develop into? What will they love? What will they fear? Who are the people that they are going to be formed into? And one of the things I've been thinking about, I'm reading this book on fatherhood, so there's some context, is that moment where Isaac leaves home, uh, or where our kids leave home, uh, what will that moment be like? Will it be a moment of celebration, or sadness, or hope, or joy, whatever, whatever that moment will be like, just trying to, pit, as a father, picturing that time when Isaac leaves home was quite, it's quite a profound, moving moment for how I shape him today. But the reality is, that's true for, for, for Isaac. He's obviously growing, he's learning, he's forming. But actually the reality for us is that we, we are all forming, we are all becoming, we are all growing and learning at whatever age we are. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. We are not the same people we were 5, 10, 20 years ago. We are all growing and learning and forming. We're becoming something. We're becoming someone. We are all shaped by our environment, the places that we find ourselves in, the culture that we're from, our family of origin. We're shaped by our habits, those things we just kind of do without thinking about uh, subconsciously or unconsciously. Unconsciously? Can you do that? Can you do that? I don't know if you can. You can do it subconsciously. I'm not sure if you can unconsciously do a habit, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but we're also, and perhaps most importantly, and particularly in the context of today, uh, in this morning where we dedicated our kids, is that we are influenced, we are shaped and formed by our community, by the people that we 
put, put around ourselves, the relationships that we form. All of those things influence the type of person we become, our environment, our habits, and the people we have around us. And what I'd like to do uh, today, this evening, kind of inspired by what we uh, did this morning in our dedication service, is just to think about the kind of community, the kind of people we want to become here in East London. What is it that we're to build together here in Mile End, in this space that we have, that we've been gifted with? Uh, who are we going to become? What are we going to do? Now, if there's one thing that these last 18 months has taught us, I think it is the power and the importance of family, community, and relationship. And that's been expressed over this unique time, this unique moment, both because of its presence in our lives. You may have a renewed gratitude for community and the people around you, or tragically because of its absence, and you long for a deeper sense of relationship and community. I think the thing when we think about raising children, as we think about the types of people we are becoming and forming, there is so much potential and possibility. But I think the key thing for us is actually the people we choose to, to do life with, to form with, to grow with. I think that is the essential thing when we think about the people that we are becoming. And this morning, as a parent, it was just incredibly humbling to know and to recognize that actually I get to, Dean and I get to raise our son with you guys. Like we get to have so many aunties and uncles that are going to shape who he becomes, the man he becomes. And that is, honestly, that is a humbling thing to do. This morning we uh, asked questions to the congregation and they kind of responded that we, we will, we are going to um, help shape and raise uh, your kids with you. And that is, that is amazing. That's such a privilege to do as as a church, to get to do together. And I know you guys would say the same thing if you were asked that question now, so don't worry. One of the great, one of the just the exciting things about doing life in London, uh, living in London, raising our family in London, is that they will have you guys to help shape and mould them. It kind of makes the challenges of, of life in London, the expense, all that kind of stuff, kind of small when we think about that. But the kind of person that Isaac will become will be shaped and influenced by you guys. And so when we think about the type of community, the type of church we want to become, obviously the place to start with, the place to look is Jesus. Like what was he doing when he was on earth? What was the kind of community that he wanted to start to create through what became the church? And so we are inspired by his words as we look to the kind of community we want to become. And as I was thinking about this, there's this really uh, kind of intriguing passage uh, in Mark chapter 3 uh, that speaks of the kind of community that Jesus planned to build. Now, the context of the passage, uh, which seems to happen a lot in the Gospels, is that people are just very confused about who Jesus is and what he is trying to do. He's obviously doing some pretty incredible things. He's saying and teaching some amazing things, both in terms of how to live your life, but also in who, who he was, who he said he was. So they're just confused. And even his own family are unsure, they're hesitant, they're worried about the kind of things that Jesus were doing and saying. So they go, they go try and find him and challenge him and essentially try to stop him from doing the things that he is doing. And it says this, so Mark chapter 3, verses 31. Oh, sorry. I my headphones from, from drumming. Just put them there. Um, this is what it says. That Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? Jesus asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. 
Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Intriguing passage. We could read this interaction as Jesus being kind of rude to his family. Like, I'm not sure if, uh, if I would say that maybe. My mom was here this morning. If I said something like that, I think she'd be a bit annoyed. Uh, she wouldn't. She's lovely. But um, anyway. Uh, but actually, the point Jesus is trying to make isn't really to do with his family, his family, family of origin at all. What Jesus is doing is he's making a point of the kind of community he wants to create beyond a person's family of origin. And that idea, particularly in the context of Jesus, the context of that time, was a radical idea. The family that you came from within that culture was everything. It defined your place in society and your status was completely wrapped up in your family line. But the people that Jesus drew to himself who he invited into this new family that he was creating, went beyond societal norms. It went beyond ethnic lines or gender lines or political lines or economic lines. And so what that means for us in Mile End, as as we are part of the legacy of what Jesus started and began through the church, what, what that means for us is that we are called to do the same, to be the same, that we belong to each other and that we and we are now part of his family. There's a really uh, well-known verse in Hebrews that you you may be familiar with uh, in the New Testament that describes how this family would go on to live. It says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for Jesus who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we are to become the people God is calling us to be, if we're to grow in our discipleship to Jesus, if we're to grow in our formation, the types of person that we are becoming, I think it has to be done. And it can only really be done in community. Joseph Hellerman said, uh, a guy who wrote this book, When the Church Was a Family, uh, he said that spiritual formation occurs primarily in community. And Tish Harrison Warren, who wrote a book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary, said that we are people who desperately need each other if we are to seek Christ. I think they are all right, and I think it's really important to remember that we have the opportunity to shape and be shaped by each other as we seek to love one another and do good, as it says in Hebrews. So that all sounds very exciting, but The challenge for us uh, in our time, in our context, is the way in which our culture works. It can make it incredibly difficult to live out this genuine, deep community. There's lots of reasons for that, but I'll just name a couple. Cultural commentators, philosophers, theologians, people a lot smarter than me, would all agree that two of the biggest problems we are facing as a society are these. I struggle to say this word, so bear with me. Hyper-individualism. Okay, cool. It came out all right. I was a bit worried. Thank you. Uh, And uh, achievement culture. So hyper-individualism and achievement culture. Now, you may have heard of these terms before, but here's what I mean. Hyper-individualism, you're going to keep thinking about that every time I say it now, aren't you? Uh, Is where the goal for human flourishing is all about the individual's fulfillment and comfort. Life is all about the self. It means that a person's motives are driven by the success of the individual over and beyond the community. And the worth and value of that person comes from their success. And an achievement culture is essentially the, same, the other side of the same coin. 
Achievement culture is where society places its value and it affirms the individual's search for their own achievement and success. And it ascribes worth and value onto someone dependent on what they achieve or don't achieve. So hyper-individualism is a person's... Do we have the slides for, the, for this? Cool. Is a person's decision to make the goal of their life, project self. And achievement culture is society affirming that goal. Now, I'm sure many of us would just recognize some of that in our own culture, maybe even in our own lives. I know it, to be, it can be true of myself that when I fail or when I don't achieve the goals that I have, it not just, I'm not just disappointed, which would be a fair enough response, like achievement and success aren't bad things in and of themselves, but it actually goes deeper than that. It affects how I see myself. It affects my own sense of self-worth. And that could be really problematic, but that is the, that's the culture that we swim in. We are constantly told that you are what you achieve, you are what you do, you are what you succeed at, and that's really, really hard. That's really difficult. The author Henry Nowen, who went on his own journey with this, sums up what living in this kind of culture does to us. He writes, but beneath all the great accomplishments of our time, there is a deep current of despair. While efficiency and control are the great aspirations of our society, the loneliness, isolation, lack of friendships, boredom, feelings of emptiness and depression, and a deep sense of uselessness fill the hearts of millions of people in our success-orientated world. He wrote that in 1989. How much more true would that be of our culture and our time today? And some of the results of this uh, way of living, these two cultural forces, is an increased and profound sense of loneliness and isolation. Firstly, because, because we're told to uh, focus in on ourselves, just the, even the idea of committing to community, uh, particularly where there, when there may be kind of nothing in it for us in terms of the goals we want to achieve, that can be really difficult. Instead, we can choose to spend our time with those people that we can kind of get something from or can help us in our goals in what we want to do in life. And secondly, the other side of that is that we can feel completely overlooked and left alone if, in our culture's eyes at least, we feel like we have nothing to offer the world. When there is no sense of belonging or shared sense of value, particularly if, if life isn't going the way you hoped or we're not as successful as the world celebrates success, that can just increase and emphasize this feeling of loneliness and isolation. And there are loads of statistics on this. You probably are familiar with it, all the articles, that, a lot of articles that come out. But research by an uh, institute called Barna um, revealed that adults are twice as likely to say they are lonely compared to just a decade ago. And I, when I've been reading some stuff, from, particularly from the States, they can't believe that we have a minister for loneliness. Did you know that we ha in this country there is a minister whose portfolio is trying to solve the problem of loneliness in this nation? Like, how crazy is that? Something has gone wrong in our culture. But this is the world we live in. But even when part of this kind of community, it gets better. I feel like I've really like, made the mood super low. So I'm really sorry about that. I hope to stay with me. There's a, there's a crescendo moment. Um, but even, even when part of a community like ours, where we genuinely, deeply love one another, especially off the back of what we've been through, the pandemic and all of, that, all of that stuff, we can still feel this pain of loneliness. That can still be a reality that we experience even when we're part of a community. And it's kind of like the, the, the analogy that I've been thinking of is like London itself. So London is obviously has millions of people living in this city, but it can be one of the most lonely places to be. And for some of us as well, even the word family may be a painful one. 
Our family of origin may not be a place uh, of love and may not be anything like we want to replicate in our future. And that they are real and heavy challenges. And that, if that is your experience, my encouragement would be not to allow that experience to create in you cynicism towards community or cynicism towards a deeper relationship or cause you to turn away from what the church is called to be. But instead, be open and to allow others to bear your burden and, and begin this process of healing and restoration in community, whilst knowing at the same time, as it says in the Psalms, that God heals the brokenhearted and he places the lonely in families. Now, whether you identify with that or not, um, one of the other things or other aspects to this is that there does seem to be a similar journey that we all kind of go through when we join a new community like us. So if you're kind of new to this community or you're looking to join this community, this may be something you might have ahead of you. I'm not saying it is, but it's definitely something I've noticed. Uh, and it's this kind of journey, that four-part journey that we go through. Now, this isn't scripture at all. This is just a, a, something I've observed. It's a tool to help us understand and discern our own heart and our own uh, selves. But it does seem to be something that happens to a lot of us. And if this isn't your experience, that is also completely fine. Here's the journey. When you first join a community like ours, there can be this kind of sense of excitement, this buzz of excitement. You've joined a new community, you're meeting new people, you've decided this is it, and uh, they're like-minded, they're interested, and it's just really great. It's really exciting. But then the reality hits, I'm sorry to say. And then the second stage is disappointment or disillusionment. The initial excitement, uh, that new feeling, that new sense of, of joining something can kind of wane as reality uh, comes, to comes to bear. Maybe you find it hard to get connected. Maybe that initial, those initial connections haven't quite gone the way you thought, or perhaps people aren't as kind of serious as their in their faith as you'd hoped, or actually they're more serious than you'd hoped. Like all these things can actually kind of contribute to these feelings of, ah, oh, this, is, this is actually tough. That initial excitement has kind of gone down. Then you move to the third stage. Now, the third stage is adjustment. And arguably, I think this is the most important stage of all, and the, the stage that actually many of us don't actually quite get to. No community is perfect. And you realize that if you're going to move forward, the best way to do that is to just to readjust. At this stage, you readjust your expectations, but also you realize you're now part of this community and therefore responsible and able to help make change. Now, this stage is really tough. It, 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 it requires self-awareness. It requires maturity. It takes a little bit of sacrifice as well. But it actually moves community from a place of superficiality to actually real depth and really being known and really knowing others when you see all of their weaknesses, all of their failures, and all their strengths, and all their good things too. That's, that's where community really, really happens. That's where life really, really happens. And once you've moved through that stage, you're then into the stage of growth. This is both personal growth, personal maturity, but, or a process of maturing, but also communal growth. We grow together when we go through these, these big moments of readjustment, of disillusionment, of, of speaking things, of, of sharing, talking about the hard stuff. Like that's where growth and depth and real community, real relationship really happens. And we've also kind of worked against this cultural value of kind of consumerism and hyper-individualism that just wants to find that excitement again, that buzz, that initial buzz. Actually, you've worked through that and you're growing, you're learning and you're maturing. And we're not kind of having to perpetually go through that whole cycle again and again. 
community, it needs people to commit with all the good things and all the bad things, all the things to celebrate and the things to change as well. And if it's going to flourish, it needs people uh, to go through a process like that. Excitement to delusion, disillusionment to adjustment and then to growth. And actually, I've had many conversations with people that have gone through that process. had one recently with someone who had basically gone through this exact process, but resolved in their heart that this was their community. They're not going anywhere. They're committed to us. They're committed to East London. And we'd walked together and discussed um, going through what was essentially this disillusionment phase. And it was really, really hard. Like, it's not, this isn't easy. But it was just so encouraging to see that person kind of come through the other side and realizing, actually, if I'm to grow and if this community is to grow, I need to stay put. Um, they need me. I need them. And I, I think that's a really exciting thing and a part of what we should be building here in Myland. I almost um, feel like when we go through this phase of disillusionment, it's almost like we pick up a little bit of a limp. Like we kind of realize what the hard knocks of life actually are. Um, when you open yourself up or when you're uh, received into a community and, it's, and it doesn't always go the way you want it like it does. We do carry that. Uh, but I do think it's what God can actually do to, um, to make change, to help grow us, but also help grow our community. Pastor Erwin Ince in his book kind of describes that really well. The experience we have when we suffer or pick up this limp in terms of actually what that can do to make change or to do good. He says in his book, The Beautiful Community, that the Lord often uses our life story to create in us a divine dissatisfaction to the way things are. And so when we've, in terms of community, when we've experienced that kind of disillusionment, actually God can use that to bring about amazing things. Um, and he calls the church the beautiful community. Something beautiful can come from our experience. So this process, this journey, you may resonate, you may relate to that, but it does just give, give us this opportunity to grow, to mature, and to become increasingly self-aware. But it's also the, uh, the opportunity for our community to actually really grow some deep roots and really grow and mature into deeper levels of trust and love. Still with me? Great, good. It feels more chilled tonight, I don't know why. Maybe because this morning was a super big deal and... I was really, really nervous. I feel way more relaxed tonight. So that's great. Um, but what we do, what we do here, what we do week in, week out on a Sunday, or when we meet with our connect group uh, in midweek, these are small groups that we meet all around East London, um, just so you know. What we did this morning in our dedication service, they are embodied practical uh, commitments to community. And it says, it speaks that there is a better way to live than the superficiality of our world. I don't know if you saw in the news recently, but Facebook have changed uh, or created a new uh, organization called Meta. Have you heard of that? Yeah, how they're creating this metaverse where people can connect and play games and all that kind of stuff online in this kind of crazy universe. Um, I bring it up because someone in the morning service tweeted, isn't that just like real life? Like actual life is that? Not that in, I, I'm not anti the internet or technology, but I just thought it was quite funny. Also, fun fact, Meta in Hebrew means death. So just thought that was quite funny. Um, but yeah, what we do here, what we do here week in, week out is an embodied way to, uh, sorry, that was, that was just a tangent, but I, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, I'm not a massive Facebook fan, but there we are. Um, what we've done today is an embodied commitment to communities, embodied commitment to each other. What we do here every week is exactly that, which is why the writer of Hebrews encourages us to always, uh, don't, don't, get in, don't um, stop the habit of meeting together. Like it's really, really important. 
Esau Macaulay, uh, who wrote this in the New York Times, he's a professor and pastor, said that the pandemic has reminded us that life is more than what we do. It is about whom we spend our lives with. We cannot hug a career or laugh with a promotion. We are made for friendship, love, and community. Making the commitments that uh, we make to each other, uh, the things we do week in, week out, is us outworking what the writer of Hebrews encourages us to do, to spur one another on, to love and good deeds, to show up, to be present in each other's lives. And um, as a parent uh, of Isaac, what we did this morning, what, um, what I did this morning was a commitment to raise and form our children in and with Jesus. But it was also a commitment that I'm not doing this on my own, or Dee and I aren't doing this on our own. We get to do it in community. And what we do here as a church, what we did this morning, it makes no sense in a world of hyper-individualism and achievement culture. And I think the dedication service is a really good example of that. Children cannot be individualistic. If you see Isaac waddling around, you might, he might think he can be. Have you, I don't think he's been to an evening service yet. He just goes off and wanders and it's quite funny, it's quite cute. But he can't be individualistic. He needs others to care for his emotional, physical and spiritual needs. And because children can't be individualistic, parents can't be individualistic either. Parenting has done many things to my own heart and character. But one of the things it's reminded me is it challenges the individualist in me. It challenges the tendency in me to focus on myself, my own achievement, my own comfort, my own success. But perhaps most importantly, what we, what we said to be true of these kids this morning is that before they have achieved anything that this world might value or determine to be useful, we have all affirmed that they are completely and utterly and unconditionally loved, known and valued, not just by us as their family, as their church family, but, but by God as well that they are, as it says in the Psalms, fearfully and wonderfully made by a loving God. And they're going to grow with a community, in a community, whose responsibility is to model that to them and remind them of the truth of that in their lives. And what's true of them is also true of you. It's also true of us. Before we do anything in this world, in our success or failure, we are utterly loved by God, unconditionally loved by God. God is not into achievement culture. That's not how he works. We cannot work our way into his love. He loves us, full stop, unconditionally. That is an amazing thing to know, to hold on to, uh, to carry with us as we live this life together. The way of Jesus reminds us that every person has value, every person is loved by God, and every person is invited to join his family. I think this vision for us uh, being a church uh, and this vision of us as a uh, family, as a church family, is really helpful to remind us of what we're here to do collectively in Mile End. It's both an exciting but also a humbling call. And it's also very challenging. We all know that you can't choose your family. I didn't choose Isaac, he didn't choose me, but I know what my responsibility is to him. And it's the same with us. Yes, we've kind of committed to, to be part of this community together, but we won't always get to pick who walks through the door. But it is our privilege and our joy to walk through this life together with everything that entails. Your joy becomes my joy, my sorrow becomes your sorrow. In fact, we, it says in Galatians, we get to bear one another's burdens, and that's what we are to do. And the temptation, particularly in our culture, is to treat our church community a bit like how we treat what we watch on Netflix. When we're bored or there's nothing really new, we just kind of move on and find something else to watch. 
you'd be surprised, won't be surprised to know, I don't think that's good for us personally or as a community. And would be more of a reflection of Project Self than the way of Jesus. Our opportunity is to be present and to stay put, to have the patience and understanding and love to know that like in any family, there will be highs and lows. There'll be moments of frustration and moments of celebration. There'll be moments to receive, but also moments to contribute. And we as parents have experienced that. We have experienced the love and support of you guys, this church family, as we've adjusted to our new life. A great example of this is with our youngest member, Hermione Harrison. Many of you will know Hermione. She was here the last couple of weeks with her mum and dad, of course, Lauren and Dom, who most of you will know. Um, But they had a commitment from this church that they wouldn't have to cook dinner for a whole month when Hermione first came along. I mean, how amazing is that? Like, it's kind of a small thing, but it's also, that's that's massive. It's such... It's just such a joy to be part of a community like that. And Dee and I experienced the same. Rafa and Emmy experienced the same. James and Oscar experienced the same when our kids came along as well. And it just reminds us of the joy and the gratitude that we have to do life together in East London. But having said all that, perhaps the most important reason that we commit to community in this way is because Jesus asks us of it. It's what he showed through his own life and it's what he showed through his own teaching. In John, Jesus says to his disciples, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. In a different passage, Jesus says that the whole of the Christian life is built upon loving God with all our heart, mind and soul and loving our neighbour as ourselves. Now that's an inspiring vision. They're inspiring words, but they are also very challenging words. And it's why it's so tragic when we read of stories or witness the church or those that follow Jesus not living up to to Jesus's command, not living up to the way of Jesus and actually doing the opposite of what we're called to do. And so my prayer is that as we do life here in East London, as we build something here in Marland, as we um, kind of step into this new thing with this, with, you know, this new building, all this, this whole phase, my prayer is that we would respond to Jesus' command, that we would love one another, that we'd love him, we'd love our neighbour, we'd love our enemies, it says in Romans. And we will not always get it right, we haven't always got it right, but that is my heart, that is, I feel, definitely something we can step into and make a reality here in Marland. And I feel like we have just such an opportunity, we have such an opportunity uh, in this amazing city, with this incredible space, with these unbelievable people, to do something really special, and um, one of the things I'm particularly passionate about and particularly keen on us to be thinking about as a community over the next year is discipleship. This, this kind of really key thing about the kind of people we're becoming, the kind of people that we're forming into, uh, our characteristics, our practices, our habits. So that, as I said at the start, when we talk about the habits that we have subconsciously, that they actually start to change and form, become less like our culture and more like the way of Jesus and how we think and what we speak and what we do with our lives and our relationships. But it has to happen together. Rich Veladoas in his book, uh, The Deep Before Life, he said that the, the story of the Bible is not individual, it's communal. And so if we care about what we are to become, who we are to become and what we're to do in this city, like this, this is who we do it with. Like we have to do it in community. We have to do it as a family. We don't really have another option. And we get to do it in community. We get to do it as a family. Pete, do you want to... I can say the band can come up, and I'm kind of in the band tonight. So I'm kind of already up. So that's kind of some of my heart. I mean, there's so much more we could talk about. There's so much more we could say about... Um, 
who we want to reach, the stuff we want to do. Um, but I just think this is super important for us is our mindset towards community, our mindset towards each other. Like it has to be one of contribution. It has to be one of being known, but also knowing. It has to be one of just recognizing the stuff that can often happen in our minds as we go through these different stages and maybe that's not true for you of excitement to disillusionment to adjustment all that stuff it just helps us become increasingly self-aware of the people we're becoming the people we're called to be and i think it's just a really important place to start like who are we becoming as a community how do we see one another how do we appreciate one another how do we speak with one another how do we prioritize one another like all this stuff i think is super important if we're to do anything of worth anything of value anything that will outlast us one of the inspiring and humbling things about this morning, this dedication service, and actually Sarah talked about it in her prayer for the environment, is the generations that will come after us. Philippa, uh, who's one of the leaders here, she had a word, Philippa Long had a word about how what we might be doing here, the seeds that we might be planting, we may never see the fruit of, like the trees that will grow, to use the kind of poetic language, and the fruit that might come, this generation may never see. That is like the most that's, 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 you have to be mature to sow those seeds, knowing that actually they're for those that are going to follow us, not, not necessarily for us. But I think that mindset, that posture of thinking about the other, thinking about each other in that way, is just, it's not even, I think it's inspiring and it's, and it's humbling. And it's also a bit freeing. Like, all we need to do is be obedient. All we need to be, do is faith, be faithful to what's in our hands, to what's in front of us, to the people in our lives. So I'm going to pray. Um, just pray for us. And uh, what God could do through us, what God could do through us as a whole community, both both services. Um, and then we'll worship and we'll see. Gosh, it's half six already. Man, the time flies. Man, let's pray. Yeah, Jesus, we're just super thankful for what you initiated all those years ago. God, that you could have done whatever you wanted to change this world but you chose to use people like us Lord that you said that the way in which people would even know of your love was through the love that the church would have for one another that we are your hands we are your body we are the way in which the world will see who you are that is an incredible call but also a humbling one and it puts responsibility on us. It gives us just such a vision of who we are to be, the kinds of people we're called to be. People who love, people who welcome the stranger, people who are able to bear each other's burdens. And God, I just pray for us in Mile End as we increasingly think about the kind of people we want to become, the kind of community we want to become. I just pray that you just give everyone, um, everyone here a sense of their value that maybe they feel small, maybe they feel unseen. Lord, I pray you would um, just show them that you see them, that they are so valuable, they have so much worth, that they're not to listen to the lie of our culture that says you are what you do, you are what you achieve. Lord, but you would show them how much value they have. Yeah, and I just pray you would um, give us dreams, give us uh, excitement about the kind of people and the community you're calling us to be.
I pray that we just enter into a deeper level of relationship, a deeper level of maturity, of self-awareness, of awareness of you and what you've called us to be. Yeah, God, and we would just see you work. We'd see you work over this next year. We'd see you work in our own lives as we grow and mature and become more like you. You'd see, we'd see you work in this community. And you'd see, we'd see you work outside as well. You'd, we'd see people come to know you, come to faith, come to love you, to be known by you. Yeah, Jesus, I just pray that um, through all the, the individual stories that we have, the thoughts that come into our mind when it comes to community or family, our past, our family of origin, all that stuff, God, I pray that you just do whatever you need to do to help heal, restore. Give us peace, give us joy. Yeah, as we just worship you now, would you just do that, Holy Spirit? Pray these things in your name. Amen.